there are two things very interesting about the Massachusetts case. One, even though DeVoe got the maximum sentence, the judge suspended it and only is making him serve one year uh, of the full sentence. So to me, he was sending a message to residents of Massachusetts to how, how, uh, to deter them and to, you know, obviously encourage them not to do this dangerous activity. But at the same time, he realized that this is a young man who made a mistake and uh, didn't really, he threw the book at him, but he only in paper. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my co-host, Jay Craig Williams, uh, is not with us right now. He may be joining us later in the program. Um, before we get started, uh, we'd like to thank uh, our sponsor, Clio, a web-based practice management uh, application, which is available at goclio.com. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about texting in the law. According to a survey released last week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 58% of high school seniors said they had texted or emailed while driving during the previous month. Also, just last week, uh, a Massachusetts teenager, Aaron DeVoe, was uh, convicted uh, of uh, motor vehicle homicide and negligent operation of a motor vehicle. Uh, he was sentenced to two and a half years behind bars with a year to serve, and his license was suspended for 15 years. Uh, this is uh, These cases are beginning to pop up uh, with uh, increasing frequency around the country. Text messaging while driving is banned in 39 states and the District of Columbia. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to look at some of these recent cases, look at some real-life stories, and talk about how the laws are panning out in these cases. To help us do that, we have three guests uh, with us today who all bring a slightly different uh, perspective to this issue. Uh, let me introduce them, starting with our first guest today is Attorney Matthew Weiss, uh, Matt, uh, under the brand 888-RED-LIGHT, uh, Matt Weiss's firm handles cases throughout New York State for driving while intoxicated, speeding, reckless driving, uh, and other vehicle and traffic law issues. Uh, Matthew's blog, Confessions of a Traffic Lawyer, is read by some 20,000 people per month and can be found at uh, NewYorkNYTrafficTicket.com slash blog. Uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, Matthew Weiss. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, next, we'd like to uh, welcome to the show Robert M. Schartz uh, from the firm Abrahams, Caslow & Kasman in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Robert Schartz has been on both sides of litigation involving texting while driving cases, uh, and we'll hear more about that from him today, uh, in particular one of the cases in, involving a, a family member. So welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Robert Schartz. Thank you for having me, Bob. And Bob, we'd like to finally to welcome attorney Skippy Weinstein, a personal injury attorney at Stephen S. Weinstein PC in Morristown, New Jersey. Skippy represented David and Linda Kubert, each of whom lost a leg after 
A 19-year-old motorist accused of texting at the wheel lost control of his pickup and hit their motorcycle. Weinstein decided to sue not only the driver, but also the woman who texted him. We'll hear more about that case today. Welcome to the show, Skippy Weinstein. Thanks, Bob. Hi, Craig. Matthew, uh, let's let's start off the show with you. I'd, I'd love to get your uh, uh, reaction to this survey by the CDC. 58% of high school seniors said they had texted or emailed while driving during the previous month. Uh, what, what are we looking at here? Is this, is this really a big problem? Absolutely. And I wouldn't limit it to just a, a high school students. I think you got college students and adults all over texting. I was jogging in my uh, hometown the other day, and just as a lark, I, I'm going to look in each car and see what are people doing. And literally, I saw two out of ten people looking at their phone or using their phone. So I think it's, uh, it's an epidemic. Well, Rob, let's let's take a look at the Massachusetts case. You, you've seen both sides of the litigation. What's your reaction to the verdict? Well, I also do a fair amount of criminal defense, so I'm surprised by the verdict just, just on a proof level. Um, I mean, with regards to the evidence and, um, you know, when, when texts are received, when they're sent, when they're opened up, that type of thing, it, to me it, it, it evolves more around... Um, you know, a proof issue. I'm surprised that the, the gentleman was convicted um, based on, you know, a, a timestamp on a text and a presumption that he was looking at it um, during the accident or immediately prior to the accident. Um, so from the criminal defense standpoint, um, I'm, I'm very surprised. I'm not shocked that it's led to another accident, especially one, um, you know, with, with huge uh, consequences, uh, because I think that that's common. I, I agree with Matt that, you know, I, I've been keenly aware of this since um, since my cousin's daughter was was killed by a, um, a texting driver, and um, I can't help but notice. And, and sure enough, if you're following somebody or if you see some erratic behavior uh, more commonly during the day, you get up next to the person. They're either on their phone or they're they're looking down constantly. You just know that they're texting, and um, you know you kind of have a uh, an un, unexploded bomb next to you. So it's as, as a bit of an apocryphal story, yesterday uh, in my in, in the complex where I live, which is a, a about a mile long by about a half a mile or a mile wide, uh, it's a fairly big complex, but it's all it's in a gated community. And yesterday, a kid was texting and plowed into a parked car. Yeah, it's 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 all over the place. I was uh, driving yesterday, and and you know, noticing myself, I was stuck in traffic and looking around me at the cars all sort of stalled around me, and you could see almost everybody. It looked like was looking down at their phone and typing at their phones, uh, and that's in Massachusetts where texting is illegal. And in, in California, Bob, it's now illegal to text while you're sitting in traffic. There's yeah. an appellate court case that came down less than six months ago. And if you are in your car and you're in what we commonly call the parking lot, otherwise known as Interstate 5, <laughs> um, you cannot text while you're sitting there. You have to leave your yeah, phone. The law, in, the law in New York is exactly the same way. You, you cannot text while you're operating a vehicle. You'd have to be in parked in, on the side of the road for you to legally use your phone or, or, or device. And interestingly, New York has taken it even one step farther. And under the vehicle traffic law here, you actually are presumed to be using your phone if it's in your hand and the police officer observes you holding that phone or device. But I wonder, Skippy. I wonder if we could bring you into this conversation because you you've uh, brought some of these, you've brought some litigation against uh, texting drivers. And, and what about this issue of proof? I, you know, how do you establish that uh, somebody was in fact texting at the time something like this happened? 
I think one of the key factors in, in our case, the Kubert case, was that you have to take a look at the facts that existed at the time. And I agree with counsel that it is clearly an epidemic situation. Number one, I was a former assistant DA in New Jersey, so I have full recognition of the one side of the case. My side of the case dealt with the civil aspect, and therefore the facts of the case became very significant. For example, these were two teenage kids, very nice young people. But the fact of the matter was the issue before the court on a motion for summary judgment was whether or not uh, there was knowledge on, on the part of the person texting outside of the vehicle to the person operating the vehicle at the time. And therefore, our position was that it was fact sensitive. And uh, if you wish, I will go in very briefly to the facts that existed in, in our case. If you could do it yeah, briefly, be, yeah, that would, go ahead. That'd be great. Okay. And, and we're particularly interested in your, your theory behind suing the person who sent the text. Let me give you the theory first, and then I'll give you the facts to support it. The theory first was this, that each of these young people knew that texting while driving is illegal and can be very dangerous. Number three, that the issue could be carried forward into the fact that somebody can ultimately get hurt if there's texting. And hence, our position was that there was an aiding and abetting situation. That's an old common law cause of action. But if you think about it, the question became, in our case, whether or not she, the person outside the vehicle, knew or should have known whether or not he was operating his motor vehicle at the time. That was the position we took. Now, the facts to support it was that we did extensive discovery. We obviously took the depositions of both of the parties being sued. We took the testimony of the Verizon people. We got all of the text messages for both of their phones for that time period involved. And it became apparent that this boyfriend-girlfriend situation, there were, at that time, uh, there were uh, 30 text messages between he and she. There were 32 text messages between she to he. And the entire day, he, in fact, texted about 182 times that particular day. So therefore, the question was, as people raised, how do you know that she knew? And what we did was we created a situation as follows. We showed that they were boyfriend-girlfriend. We showed that between 12.30 that day and 3.40, they were together having lunch and whatever. He then leaves to go to the Y to teach swimming at 4 o'clock. He leaves then at 5.41, and he gets into his truck, texts her, starts to drive the truck. She texts him back. He texts her back within seconds. And lo and behold, he's on the wrong side of the road, hits the Kuberts on the left side of their motorcycle, and traumatically amputates his leg, winding up 10 feet away from his body. And her leg was significantly lost, and that night they did a total amputation. So it became a factual issue as whether or not she knew or she should have known. If she knew or she should have known, our position was there was responsibility. 
Rob Schartz, you've been involved in uh, litigation uh, as well, as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, involving a family member. Tell us about the case that you were involved in. Well, and, and Bob, let me jump in real quick before we do that. And just as a follow-up to uh, Skippy's story, uh, just to confirm, the judge did not hold the girlfriend liable for texting uh, her boyfriend in that accident. Is that correct, Skippy? That is correct, and that will be appealed, trust me. Yeah. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to yeah, cover that. Good point. With respect to my cousin's uh, daughter's case, she essentially had, had gone to a, uh, a later movie with a friend, um, and at, at 11 o'clock on May 30th, 2007, she was essentially on her way um, to, to drive her friend home, and she was at the intersection of 132nd and Center Streets in Omaha, which is a fairly uh, busy intersection. Um, there's, there's four travel lanes, um, two in each direction, north and south, two going east and west, with turn lanes and everything else. So you basically have an intersection that's, that's wide open. Uh, anywhere on that intersection is about five lanes. So she was in the outside lane going northbound. There was a car next to her. She got the green light. Both cars started to go. The car left of her uh, was, a, was a bigger car than her car and uh, essentially would have blocked uh, Katie's view to her left um, of this car coming straight at her. And um, the other car saw it next to her, stopped. Immediately, Katie proceeded and entered the, uh, the, the zone where she was hit. Um, the other car was heading eastbound. So the eastbound car, uh, driven by another 16-year-old, Katie was 16 years old. Her passenger was 15 at the time. Um, the other vehicle driven by the 16-year-old was um, an older-fashioned um, Chevy Blazer, so kind of a, I would say, mid-sized to smaller SUV, and um, hit Katie's car, which was a Saturn, kind of a low-lying um, uh, sedan, and hit her right at the, uh, the driver's door. Um, she That was at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, the, the girl uh, alleged... Um, that she was not um, texting anything. She was late for her curfew. It's it's uh, our position or it's our belief. Um, uh, because the, the matter was not litigated, we ended up mediating it and settling it. Uh, there was not the extensive um, uh, data or evidence that Skippy would have, would have in his case in the sense that there weren't depositions, there weren't phone records that were obtained in a civil basis. They were on the criminal basis and... Um, they ended up actually charging the girl in juvenile court. Um, she did a, a, a term of probation, some community service hours, and that was essentially it. And in fact, um, under Nebraska law, she's entitled to have her uh, her juvenile record sealed uh, at an appropriate time. I quite frankly don't know if she's done that yet, uh, but she would have, uh, by now, five years later, um, she would be uh, of age to where she could request to have her record sealed, and uh, essentially nobody would uh, nobody would know about it. Um, so Katie was was struck. She was taken to the hospital, and she she died the next day of um, traumatic head injuries. Essentially, other other injuries too, but that was that was probably the the primary leading cause for her death. Wow. Terrible, Rob. You have a story as well. Yeah. It's not so much distracted driving, but, but my brother was killed in a car accident in Lincoln, Nebraska, where the gentleman had a, uh, a medical event and um, crossed the center line. 
Um, same thing, weird enough, Saturn, uh, my brother was driving, and a, um, uh, he was up against a C-10 pickup truck, an older one, a uh, big, heavy, iron-type uh, truck. And um, his, uh, my brother's daughter was in the back seat uh, at the time directly behind him. Um, so he ended up passing away from that. But there's, there's an interesting law, and I, I'm, I'm not sure nationwide if it's, if it's on the books everywhere, um, but in the state of Nebraska, if you have a medical event and there is uh, no prior indications that, that this medical event, um, you know, is, is coming, so to speak, you have a, a heart attack or you have a stroke or you have a seizure, not unlike the gentleman, um, the Commerce Secretary, I believe, probably had some type of a seizure in California over the weekend and had um, several uh, cars hit in that process. In the state of Nebraska, if... If you have such a medical event and you uh, end up striking somebody during that event and you don't have any reason to believe that, that uh, you know, the, the event was coming, uh, there's essentially a uh, case law that says that you're not liable. Um, you know, you're, you're found to be not liable and you can contest the, uh, any claims against you. Uh, long after, not long, I guess a couple of years after my brother's case, there was actually a woman who went um, down 72nd and Dodge, which is an even busier intersection in Omaha, Nebraska, and she struck several cars. Um, I think 10 or 12 was the final number in terms of who she collided with. Um, fortunately, nobody was killed. They were more sideswipe type cars. Uh, they followed her. She was having a medical seizure, and um, you know they denied the claims on that. Um, and for a long time they were in litigation. Uh, that I don't think that that's been resolved at this point, at least not to my knowledge. So, but with my brother's case, it's more, I guess, not distracted driver, but certainly a, a, a driving um, collision that, that resulted in death. Uh, the, the interesting thing with Nebraska is is that there we just kind of finally got on board with the uh, the texting uh, laws, and this last session which became operative uh, April 7th of 2012, they finally implemented a, a law addressing the wireless communication devices. The interesting thing is, is that they, you know, it, it's not illegal to talk on your phone. It says uh, specifically um, statute section 60-6,179.01. Uh, it says that it shall be, or no person shall use a handheld wireless communication device to read a communication, manually type a written communication, or send a written communication while operating a motor vehicle, which is in motion. So I guess the I-5 parking lot wouldn't, uh, wouldn't necessarily uh, count in that regard. And, and more importantly, it's a secondary infraction only, which means the police officer would have to have stopped you or saw you doing something else illegal uh, in order to even um, you know, write you a ticket for violation of this statute. It Interesting. Let me, uh, I just wanted to, uh, I want to get uh, to Matthew for a second, uh, because, uh, you know, you, uh, you advise, uh, uh, you advise drivers and you represent drivers in, in traffic infractions. And, and I, and I'm wondering uh, how you uh, make them aware of what the law's requirements are, what the parameters are, and what you tell them about texting and driving. That's a great question. You know, I was an advocate through my blog for making it illegal to text and drive well before the legislature caught up. And similar to Omaha or Nebraska, the, the first law that New York passed did have a predicate violation 
meaning you needed to commit some other movie violation for the texting and driving to be illegal. Uh, needless to say, that loophole was ridiculous. I railed against it, and uh, I, it's not because of me, because there are a lot of other smart people out here who realized, and uh, about eight months later, they fixed that loophole and now made it a, a, pre, uh, a primary violation. But uh, believe it or not, notwithstanding public service announcements, uh, digital uh, billboards on the highways, uh, news articles and news reports, people still don't realize that it's illegal to do what they do. And I get calls all the time. Some people said I didn't know. Some people uh, said I know, but I didn't know it was carry points and it could affect my insurance and my license. Um, so you'll have all levels of, of engagement or interest or knowledge about this subject. Uh, I thought it was t- there are two things very interesting about the Massachusetts case. One, even though DeVoe got the maximum sentence, the judge suspended it and only is making him serve one year uh, of the full sentence. So to me, he was sending a message to residents of Massachusetts how, how uh, to deter them and to you know obviously encourage them not to do this dangerous activity. But at the same time, he realized that this is a young man who made a mistake and uh, didn't really. He threw the book at him, but he only in paper. And, and the other thing that really is fascinating to me is the judge at the same time took his license away for 15 years. I have never, and I represent 3,000 clients a year, all with traffic matters. I have never seen a 15-year suspension. I've never seen a 10-year suspension. I've never seen a five-year suspension. So to me, that really is throwing the book at this young man because when he does get out of uh, jail, he's not going to be able to drive for, uh, for another 14 years. Well, it's time for us to take a quick break. We will have much more on the issues of texting, driving, and the law when Lawyer to Lawyer returns on the Legal Talk Network right after this. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. 
That's perfect. The office can wait. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are discussing texting, driving, and the law. Our guests today are attorney Matthew Weiss, attorney Rob Schartz, and attorney Skippy Weinstein. Skippy, right before the break, Matthew was telling us that uh, he thinks it's pretty ridiculous to get a 15-year suspension of a driving license because he hasn't seen anything that severe, And although the, the statute allows it for texting and driving. Um, what are your thoughts about that kind of a punishment? Is it going to stop texting and driving? I think the better punishment would be to do what they did in this case when Kyle Bess went before the municipal judge on the motor vehicle charges. One of the conditions of the sentence was that he had to appear 14 times before high school groups and other groups and telling them what happened when he was texting while driving. Uh, I was amazed that the judge was so astute and was so progressive in his sentence that it was something that went uh, all over uh, relative to the type of punishment that one should receive. I think the problem with the 15-year sentence, as uh, my colleague spoke about a moment ago, is that what you're doing basically is you're preventing that individual from successfully seeking and maintaining employment. And uh, if you lose your license as a young person for 15 years, one of many things is going to happen. Number one, he's going to drive. Or number two, he won't drive, and therefore the type of transportation that would be available to him uh, will not be such that he can maintain a job. That's going to be a problem. And secondly, in New Jersey, 15-year loss of license is kind of steep. There is statutes which address the issue of 10 years. But may I just inject one other thing relative to the conversation before? Sure. I think lawyers that are thinking about taking texting cases, I suggest to them a couple of things. Number one, they have to do complete and thorough discovery. Uh, the uh, cell phone records, the information, these uh, companies do not retain the message, not yet. But in speaking to some of these companies, they ultimately are thinking of doing that. And hence, you will have not only the time that it was sent, the number it was sent to, the time it was received, and the time it ended. The courts in New Jersey take a very hard look at whether or not what you're trying to prove, in my case, trying to hold her in and become legally responsible. They look at things like fairness. They look at things like common decency. They determine whether or not there was substantial assistance on her part. And that's where I mentioned before about the aiding and abetting. And the argument that we made but lost, I might add, was that although she wasn't physically present in the vehicle, we contended that she was electronically present. And therefore, it's a factual issue that a jury should decide as to whether or not she knew or should have known that he was operating that motor vehicle at the time. The judge felt no, 
there was no duty on her part, and hence he threw the case out on a granting of the defense motion for summary judgment. Well, and, and just as a throw in here, don't forget that uh, most telephone companies only keep text records for six months, and after that, they're automatically deleted. So as an attorney, if you're taking one of these cases and you want that information, you've got to get a subpoena out really quick. Otherwise, you might not be able to get the information. I think Matthew was trying to uh, say something there. Go ahead, Matthew. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a, in, in due respect to Skippy, I believe the judge in your case, as a matter of public policy, felt extending liability in almost any circumstance to someone who's not driving the vehicle was just not something that New Jersey uh, and his should recognize as a, as a uh, I guess, a compensable theory of liability. You have someone who's not there who maybe shouldn't have been texting when she knew her, what her boyfriend was doing, but her boyfriend could have been stopped at the time. He could have been in, in a uh, legal place. He could have been using an app which allows for you to hear your text. So there's a whole host of things and to make someone liable of that nature would be, uh, I think, exorbitant. You would have people at backseat drivers liable. You have people, a pedestrian could be liable for saying boo to someone. So I think you have to, at some point, uh, almost like a proximate cause theory, limit the exposure and say the person operating it, the person owning it, that's fine. But we're not going to let other people outside that sphere be liable for the operation of a vehicle. I, I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, I think I respect your position. And you're absolutely right. The judge didn't want to take that big step. But if I was a sorcerer and looking into a crystal ball, I think the time has come that we all have to present what's happening presently. And the state of the art and the young people, as well as adults, are texting while driving. And maybe someday soon, maybe not in my case, but some other astute lawyer, far brighter than I, will make the same argument and probably advance it. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts that they're going to find a cause of action relative to this type of texting. Yeah, I would concur with, with Skippy. I don't know about the, the litigation end of it, but I know that when when Kitty Reynolds um, passed away, Rob, her father, took up the torch, and so did her mom, Sherry. And, and they, they formed an organization, a foundation, uh, focusdriven.org, that, that, you know, Rob goes out and speaks to, uh, local high schools, uh, across the state and, and really across the country. And he's shocked at the number of people that, uh, you know, admit that they, they do this on a regular basis. And, and I don't know that, you know, a year in jail or the, the point violation or, uh, you know, a lot of these other ramifications are really going to sink into a, a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old. Um, but, um, you know, I think that the future down the road is definitely changing. When, when this happened to Rob's daughter, he said, you know, there needs to be a ban on cell phone use in cars. And I said that, you know, the, the cell phone lobby, the, the, the companies, they're too big. It's, it's what people want. You're never, ever, ever going to get a change on that. And, and here in five years, we're talking about a lot of legislation. Um, you know, maybe down the road to, to prevent all of this, there, there will be some type of an app either uh, hardwired into your phone or into your car that, that doesn't deaden it but allows it to, to go to a, you know, a, a voicemail automatically where you cannot do it. Because I don't think in, until you take that, uh, that ability out of somebody's hands, uh, that they're necessarily going to be able to make the right decision. There's, there's no guarantee that somebody or there's no, you know, 
this this gentleman in Skippy's case did not have to open up that text. He didn't have to look at it. He could have let the thing, you know, sit in his pocket or on the seat or something. And I think that's where third-party liability is is going to be a difficult uh, thing to secure because I could send out a blast uh, text to, to 10 people, and I know the newer should have known whether they were driving or not, but I, I don't, you know, I, I would hope and I would respect their ability to decide uh, whether it's a, a prudent time to open it up and whether that would be distraction to them while they're driving. And I would hope that they wouldn't open up a text that I send them, whether I know they're driving or not. So I need to interrupt you here because we've got just a few minutes to wrap up and uh, and get your final thoughts. And before we do that, I want to also mention to our listeners that in addition to the one that you mentioned, the website focusdriven.org, there are some other great websites you can go to to get more facts and statistics on texting while driving, such as Stop TextStopRex.org and the official government website for distracted driving, which is at distraction.gov. And it's time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts along with our contact information for our listeners. So, Skippy, let's start with you. On behalf of the Kubrick's, David and Linda, they simply wanted this issue to be presented. They've appeared before the legislature. They've appeared before other civic groups. And discussion on this issue, hopefully it will change people from texting while driving. That's their mission. Thank you. And Skippy, can we get your contact information so our listeners can reach out to you? Uh, Our website is uh, sswpa.com. Great. Matthew? Great. Thank you. You know, years ago, drinking and driving was a slap on the wrist. And over the recent recent past, you've seen now a societal change in the attitudes and acceptance for people that get behind the wheel when they've had too much to drink. Likewise, uh, you are seeing a shift now with people and their acceptance and society's acceptance with people who have uh, t- texting d- devices and cell phones and these uh, policies not to allow that and to punish people who violate those laws. So the law has to catch up with the technology, but it will. Uh, for anyone who wants to reach out to me on any vehicle traffic law matter, they can reach me at 88 Red Light, which is our toll-free number. Uh, I'm happy to give free advice to anyone on any traffic matter in New York. And my website is nytrafficticket.com, ny for New York, nytrafficticket.com. And um, my blog is called Confessions of a Traffic Lawyer. Great. Thank you very much. And Rob, finally. I, I know that, that Katie's father's life goal now is to, to try to prevent as much of uh, the collateral damage that's caused by distracted driving as possible. Um, I do believe that it takes a societal change. My five-year-old, every time she's riding in the car with me, will look next to her, and if somebody's on the car, she just automatically screams out. It's almost instinctual at this point in time. Dad, they're on their phone, and she points at them. Um, you know, she knows the difference because I've, I've made sure that she knows the difference, and uh, I don't use my phone in the car uh, in front of the kids. Uh, I think that that's a step that needs to be taken by responsible parents. Uh, my contact information is uh, the firm... Abraham's Caslow and Casman in Omaha, Nebraska, A-K-C-L-A-W.com uh, is our website. Uh, my specific email is R-S-C-H-A-R-T as in Tom, Z as in Zebra, at A-K-C-Law.com, or I can be reached on the telephone at 402-392-1250. I really appreciate uh, you allowing me to be part of the discussion today. Great. Thank you very much. So, Bob, what are your thoughts about this whole mess? 
Craig, I, I think uh, I think it was Robert Schartz uh, alluded to what I've been thinking this whole time, which is, uh, you know, the issue uh, isn't just confined to texting. It's distracted driving. It's cell phone use uh, in general in a car. Uh, and uh, there really does need to be uh, a, a, a sea change in the way people think about uh, this. Uh, you know, with the, again, the, the reference to how people uh, were thinking uh, – 20 years ago or so about uh, drinking and driving to the way they think about it now, uh, that needs to happen with regard to distracted driving. Uh, you know, laws alone aren't going to make the change, but uh, they certainly will help get people thinking about it. And uh, this prosecution uh, in Massachusetts is at least going to have people thinking about it for a while and talking about it. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And I'm going to throw out an idea here that uh, I'm going to ask Matthew and Rob and Skippy to look into and perhaps push with some of their advocacy organizations because, and some of the attorneys that they know, because it seems to me that technology here is an easy answer. We all have GPS uh, in phones, in the smartphones. And it seems to me that it's a, someone ought to be suing the phone companies over this in addition to suing the people that do the texting and people that receive the texting. When an injury occurs, it seems to me that the phone company needs to be named because in this instance, um, it is an easy technological uh, issue to identify when a phone is moving faster than five miles an hour. And as soon as it does recognize that, that phone can turn off all texting and all t phone messages unless there's a Bluetooth hooked up to it and the Bluetooth allows hands-free driving. So there's a very, very simple fix that the phone companies could put in place for their smartphones with GPS and eliminate much of this issue because they can just automatically turn it off. And until they do that, it seems to me that they have liability. So there's an, there's an idea uh, for somebody to, to uh, take the phone companies to the mat on this thing. Well, as a regular rider of the uh, Acela line between uh, Boston and New York, uh, I'm not sure I'd go for that, but uh, I, I hear Well, and, you know, there's got to be situations where if you're on a train, yeah, you can override it, but then the responsibility lies with you, not with the phone company. Yeah. But until yeah. the phone company gets their act together and starts turning these things off, I think that they have liability, yeah. especially thoughts. given the knowledge and the ease of the fix. Interesting thoughts. Well, I, I'd like to thank I, all of our guests for taking the time to be with us uh, today. Uh, really appreciate your time and your thoughts. Uh, thanks again to all of you. Thank, thank you very you. much. Take care. And Bob, we'd like to remind our listeners that they can now get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcast. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center link. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes, and we have an Android app where you can access all the Legal Talk Network shows on your Android phone, your smartphone, and we're hoping to have an, iApp, an iPhone app out shortly. Well, Bob, will be back again next week with another great legal topic, but in the meantime, when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks. Talk to you next week, Craig. See you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.